after what seemed like a small turnaround uh, from Toronto FC coming into the week, we then see sort of the reality of where this project is right now uh, with two straight home losses, one to Columbus, 2-1 on Wednesday, and last night a 2-0 loss to the Seattle Sounders. Uh, welcome to this week's Tunnel Club. As always, your hosts uh, are Mike Newell and Sean Levy. You can follow Sean at CDN Footy on Twitter, and you can follow me at, at Football Saves. Uh, Sean, we were both there last night for the game, um, and I believe you were there Wednesday night as well. Um, two difficult ones to swallow after what seemed to be a bit of a, I won't say a full turnaround, but obviously some encouraging signs uh, the previous week with two wins, now two straight home losses, and sort of back to the stuff we've been talking about through the majority of this season in terms of defensive woes, uh, offensive stagnation, um, and a lack of rotation in the squad. Um, but Sean, let me just, uh, before I continue, just get your thoughts on sort of this week's TFC action? Um, I think it's been disappointing. I would definitely say disappointing, especially when, you know, it seemed as if there were some positive signs of, of, of and again, I hate, I don't want to say a turnaround, but just growth is probably the better word. We start to see what looked like growth from certain players, certain areas within the team. And then the last two games just... From a, from just a pure fans perspective, I honestly I don't know what 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 we're seeing. It just you know offensively, there's just a lackluster hunger um, when it comes to the final third. Nobody really wants to shoot. Um, I see a lot of passing back and forth, but no actual attack on net. It wasn't until you know sometime in the in the second half when you we finally start to um, shoot. You know whether or not they were you know going to be you know effective shots they were shots on target which is something we weren't really doing um defensive woes just seem to regress back to what we've seen earlier um turnovers at key moments in the defensive end just like again we're like you're passing it outside of the 18 you're passing right down the heart of the field right dead center and you're turning the ball over you're asking for for goals right um goals against it's it's disappointing. Yeah, look, I I don't know if I have a, a different expectation on the team than than others, but I'm not shocked. Um, you know, I think the the thing that I'm uh, a little bit taken aback by, I think, is just the this the the issues to me aren't the youth, and I know we've talked about it a bit on the show, um, and, and a lot of people are talking about it. Uh, online but to me the young kids aren't the issue it's the senior players um that are really shocking to me uh and and that they they tend to be the ones making a lot of the errors um uh, and and leading to some of the issues that that we're seeing in this team like i i know you know there there are times where you you do look at the young players and say oh they could have done that better but i expect that from them they're supposed to do that that's what young players who are most of them making their first full senior foray 
and the TFC should be doing, right? Like I, I, if they were all perfect, you know, the, you know, I'd probably be more shocked if they were all perfect right now. Um, it's the senior players that are making mistake after mistake. And, you know, just there, I'm going to get into some things, especially about last night that were a little bit concerning. Um, but, you know, that's the thing that stands out to me is the, the senior players, there, there needs to be a spotlight on, on a lot of the senior players. And I know people go on Salcedo and Bradley and, and things like that. But, you know, I, you know, I, I have time to, to go after a little bit about Alejandro Pozuelo, um, maybe not from an attacking perspective, but from a tracking back perspective and, and things like that. So, you know, that's where my, that's where my general thought process is. Um, you know, and in general with this team right now, what I see is it is a rebuild. This is a rebuilding team right now. I know people are going to say, oh, well, you don't bring in an Insigne when you're trying to rebuild. You don't bring in a Crescito when you're trying to rebuild. Well, I, I mean, I, to me, it's this is a rebuilding squad. This is a squad with a, a whole cast of new players and a brand new manager. And really what you're trying to figure out this year is who are these core pieces that are going to fit with this team going forward uh, and who are going to help build a core. And when I say core, I don't necessarily mean these are going, you're, you know, you're going to find all your starters right now, but you're going to find guys you're going to, you know, build the team around in terms of, okay, uh, I know maybe a Jaden Nelson may not start every single match for me, but I know I can bring him off the bench. And I know what he can do from that perspective. And I know a Ralph Preso may not start every single match, but I know what he can do. And I know I can bring him off the bench. Uh, so really the build is to next year. Uh, that That's to me where we're at and where we've been for most of the season. And if you make the playoffs this year, kind of gravy, right? But I may be looking at that um, from a different perspective. I'm sure other people in the room have a different way of seeing it. So if you do, if you have thoughts on the last two games, and what sort of why this team is on a roller coaster? It seems like um, every you know, I'd say three weeks, we see a promising set of results, and then we go right back down again, and then we're up again, and we're down again. You know, go ahead and request the mic uh, if you're listening on your phones, on your Android, or um, on your iPhone. Uh, it's just on the bottom left-hand corner. There is a request mic button. Go ahead, request the mic. We'd love to get your thoughts. Uh, if you're not comfortable speaking in a in a public space, which not everybody is and completely understand, go ahead. Um, you can at Matt mention us at TFC Tunnel Club with your questions or thoughts, uh, or you can DM us at the same uh, location as well. But Sean, let's let's step back really quickly to the Columbus game, uh, two one uh, re- lost result. You know, a lot of people are going to point to the fact that a former TFC <laughs> youth player uh came back and burned us uh, a little bit i mean sure i you can do that um but i think also you, you could kind of point to the fact that once again you know uh, tfc didn't really get off to the greatest of starts uh in that match and it seemed like that was starting to turn but then you know the boat kind of course corrected and went back to some old habits there what did you see in that game um that that sort of made you take notice um, I mean, I think the scoreline somewhat like the fact that it was 2-1 was a little flattering. I just didn't think we had the the, the attacking 
Like we just didn't have the energy in it when when you're looking at the team. There was no confidence. There was just like the fact that we want we 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 did um, get one back to at least make it look decent. I I did not believe at any point in that game we were going to come back. Like watching that game, I just I mean for me, you guys know how I feel about when it comes to the two, two between the pipes. And once I saw who found out who was starting, I honestly. I did not expect to win. Like I originally, I did, I did, uh, um, when I was with you guys on the show on Monday uh, on Toronto till I die. I did I? That's why I thought. You know what? If Q's playing, I was confident we would get a win based on performance goal after the weekend's performance. Yeah. Once I found out Q was out, I totally lost all confidence within the team defensively, and I. So the fact that we did lose was not necessarily a surprise. Um. The lackluster performance from the team yesterday was, it's almost like they feed off of how they did the game before. If they have a good game, you can almost expect two game, two decent games in a row. If they have a bad game, that can turn into a bit of a, 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 a negative roller coaster for the team, right? They're, like you said, they're on a roller coaster seat, up and down, up and down. The unfortunate reality is, is with them is that the downs tend to be a more than outweigh the, the ups so far. And the downs highlight a lot of the areas of weaknesses within the club constantly. And I think that's why you have so many people keep harping on the young kids. Um, and again, I don't think on third, on Wednesday's loss, it's specifically those issues. It was just the same things we've been harping on. Key players, Pat making turnovers at, at, you know, in the final third, defensive third, that are causing, you know, easy goals against. And things like that have to stop. And you're right. It's not like we can harp on the young kids all we want. We can point out their flaws and their areas of weakness. And the unfortunate reality is we've, and we've said this before, this is, this is who we have this season. We don't, like, look at the bench. There aren't veteran options on TFC's roster for us to choose from. So, as a fan's perspective, you have to just accept this is what our season's going to look like when it comes to roster-wise. Um, but, yeah, it's not just the young kids that are that are cause for concern. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the stats from the Columbus game, and I was taking a look at them uh, prior to the show, like, I can get why I can get why Bob Bradley says what he says in terms of you know, yes, the results are kind of harsh, but I could see improvement in the team. Because if you look at just, and I'm just looking at the stats, okay, I, I get people are going to be like, well, the only stat that matters is the final score, which is fair, okay? But I'm going to just look, I'm just going to read out a couple of interesting stats from that game, and and I'd love to get people's opinion on it. So Toronto FC out-possessed Columbus. Not quite doubled them up, but pretty close. Um, 63 to 36% possession you know, uh, in the game, which I know doesn't mean much, right? Like you could have a ton of possession and have no control over the game. So I understand that. Um, outshot them, shots on goal. I mean, Columbus scored two goals on three shots, right? You know, we have seven, we score one. Um, you know, a couple of our shots were blocked. You know, we almost doubled them up in passes, right? Uh, 716 to 400, basically. Um, our packing, passing accuracy 
was higher. Our passing accuracy in the final third was higher. We had more corners. We had way more crosses, you know, like, you know, duels we won, you know, they won more tackles. But, you know, essentially the key stats that you would think would put you in a position to win, we won. And yet we didn't win the game. Right. And, and it's it's a it's a look, I mean, you I don't think you can fault Bono for either of the goals uh, in that particular game. I mean, I, I think the a couple of things you can take a look at in terms of the intervals is, you know, if you if you look at the game, you know, TFC lost the game on bad turnovers, two bad turnovers lead to counterattacks that end up in, in pretty simple goals, right? And and that's sort of the thing I think that frustrates people, and that's what we'll we'll focus on. We'll, you know, we'll get to Michael Bradley in a second because there is a question about that um, from one of our regular listeners. Um, you know, you could talk about losing the ball in the midfield from Alejandro Pozuelo, holding on the ball too long sometimes, um, but those things lead to goals, and and. And I can understand that frustration because, and it's easy to look at the kids and say, yeah, they're the issue, but I really do think it's a collective team issue. And I think it's, it's, uh, it, you know, some of the senior players have to take some accountability in, in some of those, uh, some of those issues. So you look at a game like Wednesday night in a rare game where we actually, from an expected goals perspective, dominate, we're, we're at 7.1, they're at 0.8. You know, so you would think that's a game where we go on and should win the game. But as it's as it's kind of come out this season, you know, we, we don't end up we don't end up winning the game. And the last thing I'm just going to talk about in terms of a staff perspective is if you look at the passing sort of network in, in, in the game, if you look at a passing networking map, a lot of the play, a lot of the passing is central. And it's a theme that I'm going to bring into the game last night because what I'm seeing from this team is it be, it's becoming very easy to defend against this team from an offensive perspective, right? And you kind of mentioned it, Sean, um, in your opening comments. You know, everything is very central. And if you could turn the ball over and the team is playing somewhat narrow, they get beat down those flanks very easily. And that's kind of what happened with – with at least one of the goals, at least the Nagby goal, but a little bit also uh, with the first goal as well, where they just get beat down the pitch because everybody's so narrow trying to sort of ticky-tacky, ticky-tack away uh, through. And you don't you don't really bring a lot of width. The only width you really bring into the game is through Kosi Thompson and Luca Petrasso, right? And even their passing maps, a lot of it is central into Michael Bradley, um, or into Ralph Preso, uh, specifically talking about the, uh, the game on Wednesday. So just interesting things when you start looking at the stats and sort of trying to dig into what the hell is going on. Um, just interesting things that I'm seeing there. Uh, we have a, a request to speak. Richard, I'm going to bring you in. Can I quickly say, we may have had yeah, a, yeah. Lot of, a lot more shots on target, but if you, anyone who actually watched that game, those shots were not actually like effective shots. No, I agree. Like the keeper was not working hard to make any kind of saves. And that's, there's a difference. And, and, and I'm not trying to take anything away from those shots because at the end of the day, they're still shots, but it's, 
I see too much of the, like you said, back and forth, central passing, everybody looking for that perfect little through ball and nobody just trying to hammer that ball, regardless of how it goes, where it goes, just really like, you know what I mean? Like a, we're, we're they're trying for that perfect shot and perfection does not exist. For sure. Um, and I, look, I'm not advocating that they need to be shooting from 20 yards every single time they get the ball. Uh, people were at one point urging Chris Mavinga to shoot last night from like 35 yards. So I'm like, please do not do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, for sure. I think that that's part of the thing right now. And I think that's the evolution of this team right now is they're trying to play kind of very nice, pretty football where teams are now realizing we'll give them possession because they aren't going to break us down. Right. And, and are more than happy to sit back and hit them on the counter. And I think, you know, watching the two games against the New York Red Bulls, you know, kind of gave everybody the blueprint on how to play TFC. Uh, Richard, uh, you've been waiting patiently. Thanks so much, man. Go ahead and mute yourself and give us your thoughts. Um, I kind of wanted to make two kind of um, points that are kind of connected to each other. Um, the first one, is a lot of the frustration that we're seeing, I think comes down to like a, a previous point that I made. is like, I don't know what this team is trying to be. Um are we planning for the now? Or are we planning for the future or the longer term? Um, because a lot of the concerns that I have with this team are very structural. And like yesterday, I was on the side in the first half where Thompson was. I think that's on the right back. If I get my my my, my space card, I left right, right back. What does it matter? Um, Pozuelo was on that side and Akinola was on that side. So essentially, Thompson had to cover both knew who and I forgot who the other person is on that side because Pozuelo was in a free role, whether that was instructed or not. And Akinola always drifted into the middle. So there were a number of occasions where Thompson literally had to worry about knew who, who is blazing fast, by the way. And he had to worry about the other guy undercutting him. So whenever, uh, whenever they attacked, he was literally had to choose between do I stop the guy that's blazing to my outside or stop the guy to my inside? And there was no the center midfielder who I would assume would be helping the cover was nowhere to be seen. And even in the first goal where Salcedo got B one on one, Thompson was further up because he had to compensate for the fact that he was by himself covering two players, and the striker literally attacked his space behind him and beat Salcedo. Now, Salcedo shouldn't be losing that battle, but every defender has has a bad take from time to time, and that's what happens. Now, I'm not I'm not arguing whether he should be or not, but that's what happens. The second thing is... I, as much as I don't want this to be like a blame Bob kind of situation, and I don't, and I want to be very clear on that, I'm not saying this, but there have been a lot of decisions here that they objectively don't make sense. And essentially, like, I, I, I haven't been impressed. I, I want to say that. Now, this could be player-wise. A lot of the senior players aren't playing. As much as I love Michael, like, he shouldn't be playing three games in seven days. Um, there should be some leeway to kind of put him in or take him out. Pozuelo, after about the 80th minute, was knackered. Like I don't think I don't think he was able to help defend anything, and he was essentially just running towards the ball and attempting that final pass that hopefully got to a player, and he just didn't. 
And as you mentioned before, it became easy to defend. You just kind of put up, put up your block, wait for the mistake and counter after a certain point. And sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you don't. Um, it, it, there's a lot of frustration after the last two games. I don't want to go get too high on that, but there are little things that are happening over and over again that are starting to become a concern. And if Bob doesn't deal with this sooner or puts on and says, this is how we're going to play, whether you are a DP or you're not a DP or you're a young player or you're an older player, if you're unable to do what's required, then it's not going to be a thing. So that's what I want to say. Thank you, Richard, for, uh, for jumping in. Go ahead, Sean. Quick question, because um, I don't necessarily disagree with, with Michael Bradley, but I guess here's my question for everyone. Who's going to start over Michael? And, and keep in mind, at this moment, if you look at our current bench, based on health, we only have one, I believe, one active midfielder on the roster. For example, yes, it with, with Prism. So I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, maybe giving Prizzo and uh, uh, Osario a, a start together, but neither of them are necessarily 100%. They're both coming off recent injuries. So we like, and that's, that's been my issue is that we just don't have necessarily have a replacement ready for my. Here's my only pushback and then I'll go back down. Um, my brother is a big Liverpool guy. And he talks about Jordan Henderson all the time, about how great he is. But one thing he has learned over an extended period of time is that Jordan Henderson can give you the 8 out of 10 performance once a week. And if he plays more than once a week, he's going to give you a 6, he might give you a 4, he might give you a 1. And at some point, there needs to be a decision of, is a 5 out of 10 Michael Bradley better than giving Ralph Kiso an opportunity and bringing in Michael as a sub? Or playing Michael at playing, you're gonna you're gonna play till the 75th minute, regardless of what the game state is. We're taking you off because at the end of the day, the accumulating effects of you constantly playing, giving us a four out of ten for like five games, and then giving you two, two or three eight out of ten isn't sustainable, and it affects the it affects the overall group. So, I understand that. I'm I'm not your point is very valid to me, but. Yesterday, Michael was on fumes. I, 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 like, there's no arguing that. And you could argue one of the goals were his fault. I think it's a little harsh, but you could. And he wasn't covering space anymore. And at that point, you kind of have to make a decision on, is this okay or warranted going forward? All right, Richard, thank you for that. I'm going to move you back into the audience. Um, but I appreciate your thoughts uh, because I think you make you, you make some good arguments there. So, I'm going to just come back really quickly to your first point, which is what is this TFC team? Um, and Jeremy, I'm going to bring you in uh, to the conversation, but if you could just mute your mic, uh, that would be great. Um, but yeah, so uh, just a couple of things there. So one, this is to me, this is a rebuilding team, right? This team is in rebuild mode. They won't say rebuild like TFC will, you will never hear Bob Bradley or Bill Manning come out and say rebuild simply because you don't sell tickets calling it a rebuild, right? So it is a rebuild. Uh, and what this team right now, as I said at the beginning, is a team that is trying to rebuild a core group of players that are going to be here foreseeably for the long term. Now, 
what you consider the long term uh, will be interesting because if you think in a couple of years, sure. But also some of those young players may end up getting sold or whatever. But the idea here is that they're trying to find some homegrown players that can be part of a core going forward. So, you know, if you, in my mind right now, they're kind of looking at Jaden Nelson, Ralph Preso, Luca Petrasso, Kosi Thompson. I I mean, Io, I mean, Io is really part of the core anyway, but let's Akio. just throw Io in there. Cause he's, yeah, cause he's still a young player. Uh, am I missing anybody, Sean? Jaquiel. Jaquiel, sorry, Jaquiel. So I actually think Jaquiel probably is the one that might actually go sooner than anybody else. So, but yes, okay, let's put Jaquiel in there. So there you go. That's what, six players? And and technically, even though he's been around for a while, Noble will kill him. Yeah, I, I, right now I'd say Noble's on the outside looking in. Um, but fair enough. Right, so you're trying to determine out of those players who's going to be here longer term to to then build a core. Around that young core, then you start to add veteran players that will, in theory, help you win. Now, everybody's going to say, you got Insigne now. If you're rebuilding, why go get him now? And we've covered this on this show, and we've covered it on Toronto Till I Die. You get him now because he's available now, right? Like, if you have any – if you wait and say, again, say he goes to – He's Inter, not available he, next year. He's not Exactly, available. or he goes signs it's in the now, Premier League. It's simply now or not. It's yeah, not, exactly. No yeah, you either, exactly. You either sign him now or you don't. So, yeah, you fast track that a little bit. And that probably confuses a lot of people because it's like, why do you go make that move for a DP of that quality when you have this rebuilding kind of makeshift, literally makeshift, because we are putting attacking midfielders at right back um, squad. Uh, and and it, it, I get that. Um, but it is a rebuilding team. Like to me, the, the, I said at the beginning of the year in the first Tunnel Club show of the year, hard to see what this team is. But from the start, I did not see this team as a playoff team. I still don't see this team as a playoff team. Even when Insidious starts playing, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, I'm not sure I see this as a playoff team. And it's simply because you're still trying to figure out what what the structure long-term um, of, of Toronto C is going to be the real, the real test, the real, when we really can go and really measure Bob and really measure Bill Manning. Cause this is also going to be a, uh, an in, uh, indictments kind of a harsh word, but on Bill Manning in terms of, you know, the signings that we've made, the direction of the club that we've decided to, to go in. Um, that's really the year. Uh, this year, it's about figuring figure out what we are. Um, and right now, the stats tell me we're a team that wants to possess the ball. The problem is we're having a hard time breaking people down. Um, and I'm going to get into the Seattle game stats in a moment. But, Jeremy, uh, you've been waiting patiently. Um, go ahead and unmute yourself, man, and uh, give us your thoughts uh, on the matches this week or, or TFC in general. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, I was going to say, typically, as most uh, Toronto fans, I'm pretty pessimistic because I think it's between the the Leafs and, you know, Jays and all well, the Raptors have done well recently. Like, it's frustrating being a Toronto sports fan. So I definitely see the negativity. But actually, I'm glad that you brought up all the stats because the underlying. 
the underlying stats look actually pretty good for TFC. And other than a four to one loss against the Red Bulls, most games are two to one games, maybe a two nothing loss. Obviously, it was frustrating at Seattle. Um, I guess the lack of depth is what I would say is the real problem. Like we went up against a team without Rui Diaz, without Rusnak, without um, Jordan Morris. They didn't have Fry in net and we still look quite listless. So, I mean, that's like the negative part to it. But honestly, if you throw in um, Insigne, Crescito, instead of Nelson and Petrasso, you have a far, far better team with high possession rates. Statistically, like a lot of positive dribbles, a lot of nice passing. So there's actually probably more positives, I would say, than negatives. It's just worrisome with, obviously, the two center backs. And the one thing I would say with the team is that are we really willing to build based on the youth? Cause for me, Jaquiel's the only one who's really amazing. And if he's off to Europe anyways, I mean, I'd probably just rather set, you know, settle on some MLS veterans kind of like Seattle's done or New York city, et cetera. I guess we had some people coming through the pipeline, but I don't really see the quality other than uh, Jaquiel. Like JMR is obviously outstanding, but the rest, I don't know. They're pretty average, to be honest with you. So the positives are, I think you change up the left wing and we should see those kind of positive signs come to light. And people are definitely giving Bob Bradley and Michael Bradley too much like slack because Michael Bradley has been very consistent this year. I take, I think he takes on way too much slack and you can't play anyone like Prezo's been too injured and his confidence is down. So there really is no other option. Anyways, that's uh, my thoughts. Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. I'm going to throw you back in the audience. Thank you for sharing those. Um, yeah, I got some thoughts on sort of what you were saying there. Um, I, I talked about the stats because it's important to keep some context in terms of uh, of what's happening in the games. But I will say this. I disagree with you on the young players. I, I do believe that there are players making breakthroughs in this team that will end up being important key pieces for Toronto FC. Again, like I said, I don't necessarily think they're going to start every match. That I don't even think that's kind of the point. I mean, this year kind of is because we're kind of forced into that position. But um, going forward, especially when I start looking out to 2023, you know, uh, a Luca Petrasso can be an important piece off the bench, maybe even starting. We'll see how the Crescito thing goes. I'm not as sold on it. Um I think Kosey Thompson has a future on this team. I think Ralph Preso has a future on this team. I Obviously, you talk about Jaquiel Marshall-Ruddy. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm actually, and I know some people are going to come after me about this, I'm actually a lot higher on DeAndre Kerr than a lot of other people are. Um, I, again, I think you're talking about a player who just came out of college and is starting his uh, professional career. But um, it, I think there's opportunity there to to find players that can be useful pieces to your team again they don't necessarily have to start every single match but they can become useful parts of the squad as you continue to build out maybe you do get a couple of mls veterans um in certain spots i actually think you need to start thinking about potentially replacing a chris mavinga in the future right and all due respect to chris he's done great things for the club maybe it's time to move on there you know i i I see what you're saying, but from that perspective, I think the young players are actually doing a, a lot better than people are willing to give them credit for because, yes, they're up, their mistakes are big ones that cost goals. 100%, I agree with you there. You can't deny that. But I actually think overall they're 
performances and their uh, their improvement in their sort of progression has been a lot better than, than people think. Uh, Sean, what do you think? I think, well, for example, when we look at uh, Luke Petrasso, when he started earlier in the season playing in that midfield role, which is the role that he's more accustomed to, he was actually looking real good, especially him in the, the link of play he had with Jimenez. And then he's been asked due to injury to switch to the left back role, right? Where he's definitely struggled um, a lot more. Same with Kosey Thompson. He was originally signed more to play in that right midfield. And if anything, be cover, Jakia went down, forced him to play an 18-year-old kid who's never played that position at a like not even like he's never played out at any level is now playing a defensive role at a for your professional club. That's an adjustment that's not going to happen overnight. So I'm not going to judge you know especially players who are who've been asked to play a role that they're not accustomed to playing. Um, and I do have belief in that some of these kids will will stick around. Um, some of them will simply be role players. They won't be starters. There'll be guys that they know that, you know what, they can get 20, 30 minutes out of them week in, week out, and they'll be reliable. Um, and there may only be one or two that are, are regular, you know, regularly fighting for that, that, that 11. Um, that's pretty much all I'm going to say on the kids. I'm not going to dwell on, 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 we all know already, this is a trial for, for most of them. Um, I think cause for concern is, is Os- Osario's comments that we heard re- recently that he may not be around next year. There's no guarantee he's going to resign. So that you know, replacing someone like him would be more integral and more crucial for the team in the offseason than anything else. Uh yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see what the Sario situation is. Um, I mean, you got I, at this point, I think you got to keep him. But obviously, if he wants to go, he wants to go. Um, but it, interesting, and it, it is kind of leads into a question we got on Twitter here from from Chris Talks is just. Uh, does TFC need to sign a mobile six who can cover space exposed by playing high line, high press um, in a high fullback system right now, easy to cut the team open on the counter. We've talked about that. Uh, and this would mean moving Bradley further forward uh, at filling a six if needed. First of all, no, do not move Michael Bradley further um, up the pitch. I don't think, but um, yeah, you know, like I've been, uh, I think we've both been pretty, um, you know, advocates for getting a, a more experienced number six who can cover space and and win the ball back and 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 kind of be Michael Bradley circa 2015, 16, 17, right? Like in terms of that that kind of motor that can go and win the ball back and and then be able to then sort of be the fulcrum and start attacks. I think that's important. I do agree uh, with Jeremy in his point that I think Michael Bradley has gotten a lot more flack than he probably actually deserves. Um, you could, I, I do agree that he might've been at fault for at least one yesterday in terms of giving the ball away. But um, overall, I, I think he's actually played a lot better than his age and probably his legs probably should dictate that he's playing. Um, but I do think you need to bring in a, uh, a number six. And I don't think Ralph Preso is a six. I actually think he's more of an eight. I think he's more of a box to box player than he is a deep lying player. Uh, so from, from that perspective, yes, I do think they need to shore up that position. I think that might come in the off season and not in this window, but I think it does need to be addressed. 
Um, just taking a quick look here at the stats from yesterday. Uh, again, sort of just drawing the parallel, uh, Sean, to Wednesday's game. Again, TFC almost doubles up Seattle in possession. They actually, amazingly, again, had more shots and more shots on goal than Seattle. Though, again, to your point uh, on the game on Wednesday, did Stephen Cleveland really get tested that much in this game? Aside from maybe the one Pozuelo sort of spinning half chance in the second half? Not really. Most of them were pretty comfortable saves for him. Um, you know, again, we almost doubled up Seattle in passes. Uh, we had more corners. They did have more crosses than us. Um, but again, we won more duels. We won more tackles. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, the expected goals. Now, the difference here is the expected goals. They were almost both tap-ins. Uh, so their expected goals are much higher than ours. Um, but aside from that, again, you know, we dominate, in theory, by stats, we dominate the game. But right. we we don't have the nous, and this goes to the, I think, the comments about depth uh, of squad. We don't have the depth to see out wins like Seattle does right now. And it's funny, I think you and I were talking about it yesterday in the stands, the difference between TFC, these two teams that just faced each other in a final really not that long ago, 2019, right? Um, and whereas one team has been able to sustain its excellence, another has not. And they, are there lessons there from the way that Seattle does things, the way the way we're doing things? Yes, because, I mean, it's just not a matter of splashing money anywhere. It's a matter of building the right, you know, like it, it's building from the, the spine out, right? I mean, they've had – how long has Stephen Fry – like since we let Fry go, he's been their backbone. And then they built their team outwards, right? And they've, they've brought in young players that have that, that have started and, and homegrown and, and – been added pieces, but they've just done it right from management all the way. How long has uh, uh, Schmidt been their coach? Uh, since uh, 2016, since the halfway point of 2016. Right, from they made that change, they've stuck with him, they've given him what he needs to continuously build his squad the right way. Now, we've gone out and splash money year in, year out on DPs, and how many have worked out? And I think we've this that we've had this discussion on, and other pods have had this discussion. We need to start to rethink how we're doing things. Well, I think and we clearly, are right now. Well, we're, we've gone out and spent massively again. Yes. Yeah. Look, Toronto FC is always going to be a club that's going to spend massively on DPs. I don't think that's ever going to change because I think the fan base wants it. Clearly, the reactions to Lorenzo Insigne are going to dictate how TFC goes in the DP market. They're going to go out and find big, splashy signings because we keep baying for big, splashy signings. Right. So, yeah, they're going to do that. Of course, they're going to do that. Um, I I do think, though, there is room for being able to build with young players. And again, you mentioned Seattle. Look who scored their first goal last night. It's a homegrown player that scored his first goal in his first start, right? 
Um, so they had a bunch of homegrown players on the pitch yesterday, spelling senior players. You know, I think the difference with between us and Seattle right now is they have more veteran depth currently to be able to give those young players the right opportunities to come in and affect the game instead of sort of throwing all the weight on them right now. Um, and I think that's the one thing that, or maybe there's more than one thing, but that is one thing that, you know, differentiates sort of the way that we're doing this rebuild compared to how Seattle has gradually started to bring those young players in because they go out and get an Albert Rusnak because they can go out and, and find, you know, guys like Ozzy Alonso and, and, you know, I know he's not on the team anymore, but you find those guys that can be glue players for your team. They're not going to be superstars. They're not going to, um, you know, they're not going to make all the headlines and si- sell all the shirts, but those are the guys that help you win. And we had that. We had that. We went and got a beta short and a drew Moore and a Justin Morrow, a, you know, Will Johnson for a year. Then we went out and got, you know, we got other players that were not necessarily, you know, even at, like, I know not everybody loves Nick DeLeon for his personal views, but you go out and get an MLS veteran like a Nick DeLeon, you get to a final, right? You go out and get an Omar Gonzalez. Yes, I know. Not everybody loved Omar Gonzalez, not the fastest center back in the world. Helped you get to an MLS Cup final because he knew the league and he knew how to play in these kind of games in MLS. Um, so from that perspective, I think there needs to be a mix. And that's where I think TFC is trying to change. But it's kind of hard when you have a fan base that's like, give me big DP names, give them to me now. Uh, and look, our offseason was exactly that. We had the whole DP game. Who are we going to get? Bolotti, Insigne. You know, people were talking about, oh, go get Thibala, right? Like that's when you – would you hear that from your fan base? Yeah, you're going to go look out for these guys. Um, Robbie, uh, we're going to bring you into the chat. Uh, go ahead, man. Unmute yourself and uh, give us your thoughts. Hey, Robbie, your uh, your mic is hey, open. Guys, yeah, sorry, that there was there was an odd moment there. How's it going? Uh, All good. I uh, saw you guys at the game <laughs> from far away. It was creeping you. Um, yeah, I saw the uh, picture. You guys, Thanks, you guys were stellar, <laughs> by the way. The 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 trade off. Just if I can start on like a fan perspective, the trade off between the two uh, supporters groups from you know the east and west side of the south stand. You guys were on point. It was fantastic. Made made the day, even though we had a had an L. Um, it's it, it beautiful to see. So I mean, the whole Michael Bradley thing. He's such an easy target, right? Just because he's he's the captain, he's running the show. I think the guys like he's playing. He's man of the match. Like his stats are incredible. Maybe his engine's not quite where it used to be, but but he's in the middle of all of it, and his his work rate is there. So so I don't know. I, I might be seeing something different from a lot of people. Uh, just to touch on that, but I, I'm I'm happy with Michael Bradley. I think, and this is what showed up for me with the Seattle game. The Columbus game bugs me because well, we'll okay. I'll start with Columbus. The Columbus game bugs me because you got a team like Toronto who wants to play football, and then Columbus shows up and they just they're like ah, what beautiful game. We're just gonna like low block you all day and just, you know, expose you at your weakest point, transitional defense. So so that was hard because Toronto deserved more. And then the Seattle thing, yeah, Seattle's been good. They've got continuity. Like their their whole program and the way they show up every game, ideas moving forward, ideas on defense, it's been like that's just something that keeps going. And then 
what Toronto doesn't have is that continuity. Like we're in a new system, new team. So we had Armis show up and I call Armis. That was a shuffle and it was a horrible shuffle, right? Didn't matter what hand Armis put out there. It was like square peg, round hole every day, wrong system, wrong players. And then, you know, come this year with Bradley, I it's a restart. I don't know if this is a rebuild. It's a restart. And Unfortunately, we're watching the team learn, and it's really hard as fans, in my opinion. We're watching the team learn something new every week. We learned how to, I think we've learned how to beat the high press, but now we have to learn how to beat the low block as a team. There's a lot of good pieces. I agree with you. There's people are giving a hard time to guys like Kerr, and these are first year players. Um, and I think what we're what they're what we we're really waiting for is the team to come together with all the ideas that Bob, I'm sure, is trying to implement. I mean, the guy's not a slack, right? He His pedigree speaks for itself, and I think he's showing up every day trying to give this team what they need. But the team has to learn, and it's a group of guys who are coming together from, like, I mean, you've got juniors and guys like Pozuelo, who's played for Swansea, you know, Jimenez, who was the best player in the extra class in Poland. So the the the, the gap, there's those middle players that you guys are talking about. When we get that... And then all these things come together and we don't need five homegrowns on the field every game. I think we start to see positive results. Uh, Maybe you can, you know, let me know what you think about that. But I think that's the difference. We're just seeing them learn as a team, which takes longer because group learning is, is different, right? The individuals, you can pick up skills every day, but a group coming together, gelling, you know, creating an organization that has ideas that start at the U system and come through, we've restarted. So I think we're expecting a lot. But I also see a lot of positives. Mavinga has his legs back. You know, Sosedo's been looking good. And I was kind of, it was disappointing to see him leave. I hope, you know, things are good with his family. But, you know, it was, these guys, everyone's coming along. There's a lot of positives. I think Prizzo looks pretty good considering he's been out for a bit. Um, You know, there's a ton of positives. Even Ayo's had bright spots, but he's going through his learning curve, coming back, you know, getting his fitness. There's been a lot of games. So, um, I see a lot of positives. I know there's frustration, but it's been beautiful to watch and and mostly just seeing the fans excited again, whether they're spending millions of dollars or not. Um, let's see what happens with Crescito and Insigne. You know, I think I think that part of the experiment is gonna show us a lot of what happens next. Thanks, Robbie. Sean, you got some thoughts? Um very good points there, Robbie. Um one thing I think a lot of fans have to remember. In an ideal scenario, um, if we had a com- more of a complete roster, these kids would still be part of the roster. But as Robbie pointed out, as Michael's pointed out, we wouldn't be relying on these kids to play in week out. They would be, they would be coming in and learning along the way. But we don't have that right now, so we're going to have to live and die with that 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 growth curve for all of them. And that's, I understand the frustration because, you know, we're all fans. We all sit there. We all, you know, see the mistakes and and get upset during game time. But it's not like, I think next season, like reality is this season is like any positives that come out of this season, any trophies we win, whether it be simply the Canadian championships are bonuses. It's all about next year. Yeah, it's interesting. And I, and I wonder from a system perspective, you know, and Robbie, actually, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Because I'm looking at, so right now what I've brought up on my screen 
are two different games and two different stat lines. So let's talk about the Atlanta win and the Seattle loss. Okay. So I'm looking at Atlanta right now, two, one win. Okay. Atlanta outpossess us. Okay. Um, even on shots, we had more shots on goal. Uh, obviously we, we scored more goals. They outpassed us. They had a better passing accuracy. They had more crosses, right? We won more duels and we won more tackles. But in our but our XG and obviously the eventual goals we scored were higher. Okay. So you're talking about, and if you and if you look on, and actually if you go to the MLS website and check each game and look at the stats, they actually have a, a pretty nice breakdown of things. If you ever just become a football nerd like me and look at this this stuff. But um, like if you look at the passing network for the team, there's a lot more width in the way that we were playing in that particular game, especially Salcedo over to the right with Kosi Thompson. Now, if you look at Seattle, again, I, I kind of, uh, again, I read off the stats, right? We doubled them in possession. We had more shots. We had better passing accuracy. We had pretty much everything you would expect that a winning team would have in terms of stats, but we score no goals. They score two essentially on the counter. Um, and we are incredibly narrow, like very, very narrow uh, in the way that our passing charts look. So uh, I guess to me, it's like, yes, you, you have these young players, but if the ideas are to play narrow, do, I mean, maybe veteran players help in that regard. But do we actually play better if we're a counterattacking team kind of playing with what we right now are our strength? We have young players that are quick and can make things happen from that perspective. Are we maybe right now better off playing that way until we get these pieces that will allow you to play a bit more of this possession, try to break teams down in the middle block uh, kind, of, kind of game? Uh, and, and I'll pose that to, to Sean, to Robbie, to anybody else in the room. Just maybe it's, uh, you know, if you want to make this year the year, where, okay, we're going to try to make the playoffs. Maybe we do need to look at a different way of playing. Um, and maybe we need to be okay with not necessarily having all of the ball, but allowing our, our, our speed uh, to, to be a factor. Well, um. Go ahead, oh, Sean. Sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead, Robbie. No, I, I think I think you make a good point, Mike. But I think what I see is something similar to you. But and 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 the, I think the issue is our mosaic of players in terms of like skill set and what they're capable of doing. I don't think everything's fully complementary. And I think what we're seeing is we're seeing these games like, oh man, that's really positive. Like we were able to handle that team the way we want. We can play wide. We're stretching them out. Balls moving across the field. You know, we're running through the lines. Everything looks good. But I think the margins are so small because there's so many question marks and not everyone. And, and it's not just the young guys. I'm talking about everyone on the pitch doesn't have a full idea about how to connect with their teammates offensively and defensively. And because there's this shift in personnel on the field, I don't know if we're going to see it. It doesn't matter which way we like shift our strategy. I think it's just this is like, and I know I don't want to like, you know, beat this to death, but it's just the inevitable reality of this sort of restart or rebuild. 
I, I would like to see them try something different, but I think we're going to get the same result because the team's going to go out there that day and it's just going to, it's about decision-making as a team. Cause I think the guy, like, you know, everyone's like, like the, the uh, one of your uh, listeners who spoke earlier was talking about Salcedo. I think it was Richard, you know, yeah, he had a bit of a miss and those things are going to happen. Um, but I, like that's not the problem. Everyone's going to have that. I think it's just, this isn't the right mix. And and I think it's been great testing everyone out and, and patience is required. So I don't think a shift from any one formation or strategy to another is going to save us. It might just save us every once in a while when the stars sort of align because we're not like we're dominating possession. And that's easy because we got a bunch of ballers. Uh, but the problem is it's team decision making, you know, moving together in formation, in shape to protect against transition, to get chances on goal. We don't really have full formed ideas. And I think that in training and now insert guys like Insigne, like that, that's honestly, that's going to be like a wrench in there. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see some regression uh, before we see progression. Uh, although the pieces are welcome because it's exciting to see a $15 million player with a perfect smile. I mean, so. <laughs> you well, know, I, just, you know, I just want the jacket. I just want the jacket he wore um, at the at the press conference. I mean, I just want a blazer like that and just have the have the uh, the the money and the in the balls, frankly, just put my monogram, my own suit jacket. I mean, I suggested it on Twitter. You got to do it because there's two mics on the other podcast, and I think it'd be great. You know, just it'd be pretty yeah, flat. I don't have that kind of money, Robbie. All right, thanks, man. I'm going to throw you back into the audience. I appreciate, uh, as always, your thoughts, man. Thanks, guys. Take care. Yeah. Hi, right, Sean. What are you thinking? Well, I think the biggest question or issue or problem with everything is that, well, with when Insignia comes here, can you really play that way? No. Like, is that playing to his Probably strengths? Not. So, it's even though it has worked, it it's not something that I see them move, doing because of the player that you're bringing in. You're yeah. gonna play to his strengths. You're gonna wanna. You're gonna like again. I guess in an ideal scenario is once he's here and he's physically able to be on the pitch, is that he opens up things for the middle. Right, because of his strength of the wing, and assuming teams won't be able to, you don't want to hunker in and allow him to beat you on the wing because he's effective to be able to cut in and score a goal. So you might assume that might shift another, whether it be a defender, or midfielder drops back, someone should shift over, which might open up a pause, might open things up for Jimenez. That's in an ideal scenario. Well. Uh, we will see uh, as as Lorenzo Insigne is now in training. So is Domenico Crescito. Um, we'll wrap up the show in a few minutes here, guys, at the top of the hour. If there's anybody that wants to get in a last thought um, before we wrap up the show, go ahead and request the mic and we'll get you in here. Um, but uh, I do want to talk a little bit, a bit about Insigne just because the next – well, we've already been bombarded with Insigne stuff, but uh, we will get that even more in the lead-up to next Saturday's match. Um, so for those who don't know or, or didn't weren't able to get in uh, get in and sort of on the information, uh, Insigne is coming into, uh, into camp and into training with a bit of a knock. 
Uh, he had a calf issue that had first popped up, I think, um, in the last full international window uh, for qualifying with Italy. Uh, and then uh, it flared up again when they played the finalisma, I think is how you pronounce it, against Argentina um, in the last window. Um, and I think he was taken out of that game. I think he had to, he was subbed out. Uh, so the hope is that he will be fit and available for next Saturday. Um, do not be shocked if he's not, uh, because uh, I don't think he's played a full 90 in a, about a month. Um, and obviously, you know, at this point, I don't know if Toronto FC are going to be in a position to want to rush him onto the pitch if he's not fully fit uh, at this point. So we'll we'll see how the week goes, um, and hopefully he's fine. But there is that to keep in mind. I could see them do, what I could see them doing is putting him on the you know on the 18 and he never touches the field simply as you know because it's gonna it's ex- an expected so- sellout if it isn't already and the amount of fans that have basically are ex- coming in because I think there's there were even people that showed up yesterday wondering like is he gonna play because I saw a lot of Napoli jerseys for the first time. Right. And, and I welcome all the new fans. I'm just like, I will not, again, I want him 100%, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I, I think, I think, um, obviously, look, the part of the Insigne signing is a business decision as much as it's a football decision. So we do have to, to keep that in mind. But yeah, for sure. I think it's uh, it's a it's a tough one uh, right now because obviously you you want to play him now. The excitement's there. People want to see him play, um, but at the same time, to me, I think it's more important to make sure he's fully fit uh, before you you throw him in because this has got to be a long or you're try you have to try to eye for this to be a long term solution and not a sh- hope trying to make this a short term fix because if that's what they're actually thinking, I, I think they might be in for a rude awakening in terms of how it might go. Um, but I think Crescito uh, should be fit um, for for Saturday. So we'll we'll see how that shakes out and how they play uh, with him in the back. And that's I actually have a question for you. Could you see them shifting to a three-man back with Crescito, Mavinga, and Sosedo versus, uh, you know, because do you – the style of play that Crescito plays as a left back is not a left wing back, not up and down the field, which like, I'm just wondering like, with the, what style of play is Bob going to implement when you have him on the pitch? Um, He's okay. So a lot of people are going to make the fact that he's 35 years old and I get that. That's. But, but very he's valid. more, he's more of a standard left back than the, the new hybrid wing backs that you true see. but he can get up the, he can get up and down the the wing a bit um you but know, you want do you want that out of him like yeah. that's yeah that's i mean I've seen a bit, yeah that's fair and, I, and i've seen a you know the sort of the rumors started um about him yes i, I tuned into a couple of general games when he was fit um that's also another question about him um but uh you know he can get up and down the wing but yes he is a bit more of a a, a defensive left back 
Um, they could they could play in a in a back three uh, for sure. It in theory would make Pizuelo fit a lot better. Um, but I, I do think that Bob has his ideas. And you know, again, when you look at the way that they're playing um, or they're the way they're trying to play, they're pretty they're pretty set in the way they want to play, right? They they do want the two uh, the two backs pushing up high, close to midfield or just ab- above that. I mean, if you look at um, yesterday's passing map, Luca Petrasso spent most of his time or trying to spend most of his time on the attacking half of midfield, right? So it, it, from that perspective, I, I think that's the idea and the way that Bob's going to want to play. Uh, do they change that? Now that Crescitito's here to try to help Pozuelo, maybe, but then you also got to figure in that Insigne is coming in. And then the idea, I think, is to have them connect on that left-hand side. So uh, I think they stay with a four at the back. I think that that's the way that it's going to be. They, but gives them maybe some tactical flexibility to go to three if they see a need to in a game. Uh, so that's what I, that that's just my uh thought on that but uh, no i think the the idea is that he is going to be as a left back uh who could maybe spell at center back here and there uh when they need to maybe rotate players if they get an injury so we'll see um but uh, that to me is the more kind of interesting how does crescito fit into all of this and how is he going to to play also keep in mind he i believe was genoa's main penalty taker somebody can probably correct me out there um, if he wasn't, but he was also uh, a pretty decent penalty taker as well. Um, oh, for Genoa. I so, on the pitch. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it, uh, yeah. Yeah. You got another option other than Pozuelo, put it that way. Um, and Insigne too, because uh, I'm sure uh, that's going to be an interesting battle for who takes the penalties. But Listen, that's another conversation. Take them too? Yeah. Well, everybody wants to take penalty. Uh, there's, it's also going to be interesting with four former captains. Um, in the room, how are they all going to mesh um, as as a as a senior unit? That will be interesting. Um, but that's a conversation for another show. I think we'll wrap up the the Tunnel Club here. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in and uh, listening today. Sean, any last thoughts before we wrap up the show? Um, I you know I've I've noticed a few people um, shout out the South and yesterday and i think it was, you know so i want to give a shout out to the whole self end for their voices yesterday you know we may not got a result on the pitch but you know there's definitely a loud day uh uh there which is always good to see yeah look i i think the tries to do its best right but sometimes a team needs to give them that boost too right it's 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 a lot to ask you know, the supporters are going to always be there. We're always going to be chanting. We're always going to be supporting the team. But at the same time, you know, you could see some heads drop, right? Uh, and that's simply uh, because sometimes you do need – yeah, you do need – sometimes the team needs to give you a lift too uh, in terms of being able to bring your voice. So that that is a, a reality of things as well. Um, uh, but thank you for your thoughts, man. I, I really appreciate it. Sean, a um, l- little last breaking news here. It looks like Jacob Schaffelberg will be loaned to TFC2 uh, ahead of their match tonight uh, at York Lions Stadium against New England uh, Revolution 2. So Jaff's uh, going to get some minutes uh, with the twos tonight. Um, probably just to, again, keep him fit and keep him active as he's not been getting a lot of minutes since coming back from injury. 
but uh, on behalf of Sean, uh, my name is Mike. Thanks again for listening to the Tunnel Club. Again, don't forget to follow us if you haven't already at TFC Tunnel Club here on Twitter. Uh, and then also listen uh, to our Big Brother podcast, uh, Toronto Till I Die Tomorrow. Uh, I'll be back on with Mike Singh and Jeffrey P. Nesker at 3 p.m. sharp. Uh, and you can follow us at Toronto Till I Die on Twitter. Uh, but other than that, guys, enjoy your Sunday. Uh, for those uh, in and around the southwestern Ontario area, uh, see if you can make it up to Tim Hortons Field Day. Uh, Forge are taking on uh, at uh, Lady Ottawa uh, at Tim Hortons Field at 4 p.m. Uh, I'll be there. Hopefully I'll see some of you there, okay? Uh, but other than that, have a great Sunday, guys. Take care. We'll talk soon. Take care, guys.